Hello, you have tuned in to Renegade Files, your unsolved mystery and paranormal podcast, broadcasting from the Jungle Villa outpost deep in the uncharted tropics. I'm your host, Lex Gordon. Welcome to the show. This is Renegade Files episode number eight, the Aerial School Alien Encounter. This time, we dive deep into a topic that checks nearly every box of the Renegade Files mission. This episode is an unsolved mystery, a very likely paranormal event, and not just a UFO sighting, but an alien encounter experienced by multiple witnesses, all of whom reported and described the same thing. In 1994, at a school in Zimbabwe, Africa, 62 kids saw UFOs in the air, one UFO land, and received important and powerful messages from beings they universally described as aliens. The event was covered by the BBC, a Harvard psychiatrist, and other researchers who all interviewed the children and the teachers. Then, a comprehensive feature-length documentary of the event was produced over several years, and although its creator claimed it was finished in 2019, no one has ever seen it. We'll hear what the experts who spoke to the children concluded, examine some of the powerful testimony of the kids who were there, then look into the disappearance of this documentary that people are still waiting for. So put on your school uniform, get out your crayons and notebook paper, and come with me back to 1994 as we learn all about the Aerial School Alien Encounter. 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 An encounter. An encounter. An encounter. An encounter. Part 1. What'd you do at school today? When I was a kid in elementary school, our recess was at 10.10 a.m. I remember the exact time because I spent much of every school morning watching the clock and waiting for the chance to go outside and play with my friends for 20 minutes. At 10 a.m. on September 16, 1994, the kids at the Aerial School in Rua, Zimbabwe, Africa did just that. But what happened to those kids on that morning would change not only their lives, but the UFO research community forever. The Ariel School is a private school, and most of the students are from upper-middle-class or wealthy families in Harare. Their parents are mostly professionals and business owners, and the school is well-regarded. There are also some more local kids that go to the school, because the school is sort of out away from the city in a more rural area. On that sunny morning, the kids, ranging in ages from 6 to 12, were in an area on the school grounds with the usual array of playground equipment, some of it populated by students making up their own games, and a few of the vacant swings or climbing bars being used as impromptu goals for a disorganized but lively game of soccer. Amid the scattered shouts and laughs, one boy noticed five or six other kids gathered in an otherwise empty section of the playground. They were just standing there looking up. He ran over to join them. Hey, what are you guys doing? He asked, coming to a stop. Look, a girl said with a point, and the boy looked up with the others to see three lights moving in the sky. At that moment, a few more kids ran up. In seconds, 12 or so more kids on that side of the playground started to arrive. The building group got the attention of the rest of the kids playing, and they abandoned their respective games, as only kids might do, and ran to join their classmates who were standing and watching the sky. 
Thirty or so grade schoolers watched three glowing orbs of light as they flew above and parallel to a high string of power lines that ran just outside of the school grounds. The round lights would change directions and swirl around each other, but generally move up and down, seemingly following the power lines. Occasionally, these silver-white lights would flash an intense burst of red, vanish, then reappear somewhere else in the sky. The group grew until at least 60 kids were in the same area of the yard watching the objects and murmuring about what they might be. The objects vanished and reappeared with this bright red flash of light three times over the course of a few minutes as the group watched. After the third time, the kids saw another, larger, more distinct object appear. This object was disc-shaped and highly reflective silver like a mirror. The group watched as this larger object landed among a group of trees a few hundred yards outside of the school grounds, across a field from the playground. As the object landed, the three glowing balls accompanied it, then descended, but to various locations in the general vicinity. Inside, the teachers were taking advantage of the beginning of recess to have a quick staff meeting before joining the kids outside. The only adult outside at this time was Mrs. Allison Kirkman, who was a volunteer teacher's aide of sorts, and she was manning the small snack stand at the playground entrance. She saw some of the kids run off, but simply assumed they were playing some game and didn't think much of it. With the craft now landed, more kids, trailing dust, skidded to a halt by their friends and looked to see what a few of them had been yelling about. This fast gathering aroused the remaining kids whose numbers added to the group of what became 62 kids. They saw the silver craft among the few trees about 100 yards away in the rugged African terrain outside of their school property. As they watched, the three orbs reappeared and circled around the craft, casting red, blue, and orange glowing light across the reflective surface of what looked to be a saucer. Then, in unison, these orbs flew into the forest, leaving the larger craft, about 24 feet wide and 12 feet tall, alone where it sat with the nearby trees reflected in its gleaming surface. Some kids say the saucer was a foot or so off the ground. Some say it was on the ground. And some said it rested on narrow, landing gear-type legs. Suddenly, the kids noticed a figure on the top of the craft. The figure was small, about three feet tall, and was either solid black or wearing all black. The being seemed to have a thin neck, narrow arms and legs, large black eyes, and lanky black hair. They watched as the being began to move around the area, focused on some kind of work. Some of the kids later said they thought it was collecting soil and inspecting the trunks of the nearby trees. The children watched in amazement but stayed within the playground boundary, which was demarcated by a row of logs arranged like a low fence around the area in which they were allowed to play. For about a minute, the kids watched this being in shock and silence. At one point, the creature suddenly became aware of the children. At this time, another identical being appeared instantly, once again at the top of the craft. As the first creature went about his surveying business, the second figure moved toward the children. As it grew closer, the kids could see that it had thin legs and arms, pale skin, and a frail body covered in a black suit with a soft sheen. Some of the kids described the clothing as looking like a wetsuit a diver would wear. This being moved in a strange way that the kids described as gently bouncing but with feet that never fully touched the ground. They said it looked like the creature was floating but pretending to walk. 
As the being moved, it also appeared to shrink out of, then flex back into existence. This odd description has led some to theorize that the beings were moving through curved space-time in the manner described by Kurt Godel's homogeneous rotating universe model. This theoretical cosmological structure is a mind-bending concept, and I'll share a fairly digestible article with an accompanying video that uses computer models to illustrate the effect in the Dark Intel files on Patreon. I'll also put the rest of the cool evidence and resources I found while researching the Aerial School encounter. Kick us a few bucks on Patreon while you're there to keep the show going and to help us stay ad-free. Just tap the Patreon link in the show notes. Whatever this creature was, it came very close to the kids at the playground edge. Some of the younger kids ran away. The beings seemed to respect the playground boundary and also stayed just outside of the low fencing. Although a few of the bigger kids hopped over the logs and cautiously moved closer to this creature. These children said that they were very close at one point. Almost close enough to touch hands if they had wanted to. At this moment, one of the younger kids who had ran off arrived breathless at the snack shop being run by Mrs. Kirkman. He told her that there was a tiny man in a black or silver suit bouncing around near the playground. He begged her to come see it, but she would not. She thought this was some kind of trick to get her to leave so some of the other kids could raid the candy shelves in the store with her gone. Back at the playground edge, this being stood in silence and looked several of the children in the eyes for one minute. They described the being as having a large head with stringy black hair and giant rugby ball-shaped, perfectly black eyes. The kids then said they could hear a whirring sound, which they described as the sound of a flute. Something scared you, is that right? Yeah. What, what scared you? The noise. What noise? The noise that we heard in the air. You heard a noise in the air? What was it like? Like a roar or a buzz or a hum or what kind of a noise? It was like someone was blowing a flute. After this, the being simply disappeared, vanished in a blink, and appeared back near the ship with the other creature. In a few seconds, both of these beings vanished instantly and the craft began to ascend into the sky. One girl said once the craft was about a meter off the ground, it simply disappeared, vanished before their eyes. Then the kids melted down, and as a panicked group, besieged Mrs. Kirkman at the snack stand. It's important to note that prior to this day, many UFO reports had been called into MUFON, local authorities, and several news outlets in the area. It seems that a Russian satellite had been launched and the booster rocket had fallen back to Earth over this section of Africa, causing a dazzling show of the glowing re-entry trailed by burning pieces of the disintegrating rocket. And while many of these previous reports were probably this rocket crashing, some reports described intelligently moving glowing balls of light just like the kids saw in broad daylight on a day when no rockets were falling from orbit. Also, one school official had to swerve off the road the day before to avoid hitting a creature that she said looked just like the ones the aerial school kids described. And sweeping, dipping, vanishing, and reappearing glowing orbs were also seen in the skies by the students and faculty of the nearby Pier House School just days before. Schools in Africa have cool names. Back inside the aerial school, headmaster Colin Mack detected a commotion outside that was slightly louder or somehow distinct from the normal playground sounds. 
He raised his hand and asked for quiet in the meeting. The rest of the staff stopped and listened and immediately heard this unusual commotion outside. Chairs scooted back and the group of teachers ran to the playground to check on the children. What they found on the playground and around the snack stand were 62 kids, some standing and staring at the woods, some talking excitedly in groups, some sitting on the ground in shock, and some crying. The teachers comforted the younger kids who were terrified, shaking, and saying they had seen the Tokoloshi, a specter from Zulu mythology who had come to eat them. The headmaster asked an older boy what had happened. He said, We saw creatures, like humans but not human, small, with black eyes in black suits. I think they were from some other world. Where are they now? The headmaster asked. The 12-year-old boy turned toward the woods and pointed to the sky. The headmaster and the teachers initially did not believe the story as the children were telling it. They discussed the event among themselves and quickly decided that the kids must have seen something else and applied their imaginations to an unusual but not otherworldly occurrence. A hunting buggy and men in hunting clothes, or a work truck with workers doing something at the edge of the woods. But for the rest of the day, and remember this happened in the morning, the kids kept talking about what they had seen and insisting that they had watched something land and that small beings had interacted with them. Finally, the headmaster asked the children to draw pictures of what they had seen. He thought it might help the kids to process the event and provide an outlet for their obvious feelings about this occurrence, whatever it may have been. In the end, he collected 35 drawings of the craft, the beings, and the orbs in the skies. Poring over the drawings, the headmaster was shocked by what the children had drawn. Aliens with large black eyes in black suits, landed saucers, orbs in the air, and the drawings, made by kids of various ages from 6 to 12, were remarkably similar. In short, they all seemed to show the same things the kids had described. That afternoon, as the kids went home and into the following day, school officials were flooded with calls from concerned parents demanding to know exactly what had happened to make their kids so upset and to fill their heads with stories of schoolyard aliens. Part 2. The Experts Arrive While the stories told by the kids vary in some respects, here are the things that remain consistent across their accounts of the events. They say they watched three silver glowing balls of light that were about six feet in diameter flying in the sky over and along the power lines outside the school. These objects changed colors with a very bright flash of red light, then vanished to reappear instantly in some other area of the sky, and they seemed to be doing this as they flew around each other, but moved basically parallel to the power lines. They say a large saucer-shaped silver or mirrored object then appeared, and they watched it land in the trees outside of the playground just across a field. They saw a being outside of the ship. They saw a second being approach them. Some of the kids ran off, and some of the kids that stayed got very close to the creature and received what they described as telepathic messages concerning humans and our care of the planet and each other. The timeline of what happened next seems to vary slightly as this story has been around since 1994 and it has moved through videos, blog posts, news articles, and various descriptions in interviews and UFO websites. As near as I can tell, the first outsider to speak to the kids was African UFO enthusiast and writer Cynthia Hind. 
and I've also heard it pronounced Cynthia Hind, but I think the British pronunciation is Hind, and since she's British, we're going to pronounce it Hind. Cynthia Hind had lived in England, then moved to Zimbabwe, where she, her husband, and her father had opened a successful furniture factory. The furniture factory was eventually sold, earning Cynthia enough money to pursue writing and investigating UFOs full-time. Cynthia Hind visited the school the next day, interviewed many of the children, and looked over the drawings the kids had made. If there is anything fishy about this whole story, it is the possibility that Cynthia Hind, being not only a UFO believer and writer, but the first on the scene, led the children as she spoke to them. She may have, in some cases worse than others, but you still get what feels like honest descriptions from the kids. Still, in much the same way that people hunting Bigfoot see Bigfoot evidence in every broken tree branch, a UFO researcher asking kids about UFOs is very likely to interpret or even suggest aliens as the answer to every question. That being said, if she did lead their answers, that doesn't account for 35 drawings made the day before that all show essentially the same things and the similarities among what the kids say they saw. And remember, these kids were telling this same story to the principal, to the teachers, and to their parents before they ever met Cynthia Hind. There is a video on YouTube of Cynthia Hind visiting the school, looking at the drawings, and interviewing some of the kids, but YouTube won't help you find it. I even searched Cynthia Hind Aerial School UFO and never found it in the listed videos on YouTube. It's still there on YouTube. I only have it because I saved it from research I was doing years ago. I'll put the link in the dark intel files. In the video, some of the kids say they saw a little black man about their size and he had long hair. I think those are probably the kids that saw it from a great distance. One very sincere and well-spoken young girl at that time described the being as wearing a black skin-tight suit. We'll listen to a clip of her audio and a few others coming up, so stay tuned. And in that clip and the others, you can hear what people take as Cynthia Hind leading the kids in their answers, but I don't really feel like she's doing so in a negative way. It's more like she's offering up multiple choices, but still, it's not the best way to get to the truth. What I think is far more damaging to the process is that her interviews with each child take place in front of other kids who are listening, first in a group of four boys and two girls, then with two girls as they bring each of them in one at a time, with at least 10 other kids clamoring to watch and listen from the doorway, and they're crowded in there to get a glimpse of the action. You definitely get the feeling that these school visitors and the goings-on are causing quite a bit of interest from the kids there. If these kids are this interested and excited about a middle-aged lady in a red and white dress and sunglasses talking to a few of them and the headmaster, how excited were they to see aliens the day before? And how much of one kid's story was influencing the next kid's story as Hind interviewed each one with the rest looking on and listening? As part of Cynthia Hind's visit to the school, the entire thing was filmed and turned into a short news segment by the BBC bureau chief for Zimbabwe and field reporter Tim Leach. Or maybe Tim Leach came the day before and then brought Cynthia Hind back with him on the day that she came. This is the kind of detail that ultimately doesn't matter much, but it's little variations and inconsistencies like this which make researching this story maddening. So as you're reading, you find things like, the first there was Tim Leach. The first there was Cynthia Hind. 
Tim Leach and Cynthia Hind were the first there and they came together. There were 60 kids. There were 200 kids. There were 200 kids there, but only 60 of them saw the UFO and the aliens. 62 kids saw them. 64 kids saw them. Only 62 kids saw them because for some reason a lot of kids had not gone to school that day and the 7th graders were taking a test. In any case, Tim Leach's story of the aerial school alien encounter swept over the news outlets and eventually caught the attention of Harvard child psychiatrist Dr. John E. Mack, who then traveled to the school, arriving about two months after this event. The videos and reports created by Dr. John Mack are compelling components of this story. In my opinion, it's too bad that John Mack wasn't the first person to arrive and speak to the kids instead of Cynthia Hind, but that's not the way it happened, and c'est la vie. Dr. John E. Mack was a Harvard-trained psychiatrist and the founder of the Department of Psychology at Cambridge Hospital, which is the teaching hospital for Harvard University. In the 1990s, Mack began research into studying patients who claimed to have had contact with extraterrestrials. His research sought to explore what was considered a purely psychological phenomenon. But in time, he concluded that the lines between psychosomatic and physical phenomenon were often blurred and that the either-or paradigm of traditional psychiatry, which drew hard lines between mental effects and the physical world, could not always explain some of the more esoteric experiences of many of his patients. This was a position that nearly cost him his career. Despite treading on thin academic ice at times, he was nonetheless a respected and accomplished clinical psychiatrist and much of his work focused on children. He was perhaps the best possible person to have interview the aerial school kids, and in any case, he was the most qualified person who did interview them. Even so, Mac has been accused of leading these children in questioning even more than Cynthia Hind. But at least he wasn't interviewing them in turn in front of a bunch of other kids and teachers looking on and listening. In a few instances, you can see him coach the kids into confabulating their stories. Confabulate means to take an imaginary possibility and transform it into a real-world scenario. And it is the cool new word of the day, so pass it on. Confabulate. There is a decent analysis of John Mack's interviewing flaws on this case at the Bad UFO Skeptic site, and it's worth reading the summary of a French analyst who is quoted there. It's pretty concise, and I'll put it in the dark intel files for you so you can read it. In the end, Mack concluded, based on consistency of details across the children's testimonies cross-referenced with interviews by Cynthia Hind and the school staff, that something physical and genuine had indeed happened to the kids, in other words, they weren't making it up or simply experiencing a collective mental effect. Part 3. In Their Own Words Now let's listen to some of the kids themselves as they spoke to Cynthia Hinn the next day after the incident. And we'll also hear a few clips from the interviews conducted by Dr. John Mack a few months later. You'll be able to tell the male voice is John Mack, the female interviewer is Cynthia Hind. And I'm just going to put together a little compilation of the most interesting or most relevant quotes from the kids. It was scary myself. It was scary because you saw something yourself? Yes. Mm -hmm. I saw a little object hovering 
It was quite big, actually, and then there was little ones all around it. We saw something silver, and then we quickly ran to the log, to the logs, and we saw a silver, silver thing, and we saw a man standing next to it. What was it? What did it feel like when he was looking at you? I felt scared. It, it felt scared. What was scary about it? Well, I felt scared because I've never seen such a person like that before. Did you see the eyes? What did they look like? They were um, like that. Where was the pointy part? It was the pointy part in here, or was the pointy part up there? Up there. And what was the feeling when you looked at the eyes? Um, it was scary. Mm-hmm. And what, scary why? What made it scary? The eyes looked evil. Evil? Mm -hmm. And what was evil about them? Mm -hmm. Say what you mean by evil. It, it, it looked evil because it was just staring at me. With what? Staring at you as if what? As if to do what? As if it wanted to come and take us. As if it wanted to come and take you. That was the feeling you got? That it wanted you to go with it? Did you feel like you wanted to go with it? No. Did you feel... What was the effect on you when, when you felt it wanted to have you go with it? What happened? I just um, walked away and I started crying. Yes, because your drawing uh, was particularly interesting. Uh, they have asked me about it. Uh, you saw, in your drawing, you've got not only the main uh, object there, but you've got several others. Now, did you see these coming down, or did you no. see them in the sky? I saw them, I saw them disappear. They went one meter up from the ground, and then they just disappeared. They went one meter up, and they disappeared. And this, this, you saw this creature? Yes, he was very, very shiny black. Shiny black. Shiny black. Suit. Kind of suits. Would you say it was like a ordinary suit that uh, w was it like what Mr. Mackey's wearing? No. What would you call the type of clothing? I'm not sure, but he, he was really. Have you ever seen the divers going to the sea? Oh was yes, like that. Was like it like that. that, or was it like an overall or a tight-fitting suit? It was tight-fitting. It was tight-fitting, and it was shiny. Yes. Could you see his face? Well, I only saw a glimpse of it. And you don't remember any individual features? Well, uh, I only remember that his eyes were quite big. Eyes were big. And were you afraid? I was a little afraid. What did you think it was? I don't know. I just thought it was some kind of alien from a different planet. And what did you see? Well, I saw um, a silver sort of thing. It was shaped, it was like lying down like this on the side. And I saw a black man. He, he was dressed in black and he had big eyes. Show me with your hand how big the eyes they were. They were shaped like something like that. What did you think it was? Well, I thought, I thought twice. I thought it was an alien and then I thought maybe it was the gardener or someone. Oh, you first thought it was an alien, yes. and then you thought it was the gardener. Oh, well, I'd like to look at the gardener. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay.
did you see? I, there was a, so like ship landed on the ground. Um, Why do you say ship? Did it have a shape? Yes. Like what? It was, it had a, a long top and it was flat, flat around the sides. Or just around the side? Just a, um, so like a platform coming around the platform. side. Did you see anything else? Yes, we saw a black man running around. Just a little man or what? From where we looked he was about this small but we were quite way away. So he was about our size. Could you see his face? No. I didn't see the spaceship but I saw the little black guy. He looked, he was all black and it looked like he had long hair. Could you see his face? No. no just, just in a black, what was he wearing? Uh, it just looked like he he had long hair, long hair, and he was and, all black. But he yeah. wasn't naked. No. Yeah. What did he have on? No, that's all. That's all he could see. Oh, you could only see that. Yeah. Why was he among the trees? It's just about like a shadow. It just showed a shadow came. Oh, and you also saw the this. Yes, we were all there. Creature. Yes. What did you think it was? Um, I don't know really. Did you see the thing, whatever it was, land? Yes, um, no, I saw it, the, just the... The shadow? Yes. I saw the little black men, they, were, they had long, longish hair, and it was all black, and they had big black eyes. That's all I saw, I saw a glimpse, they kind of turned around and stared and then went back into a kind of like ship. It kind, there was like sort of one big one with quite a few little ones well. all scattered around. When you say they have big eyes, show me with your hands the size compared to They yours. were oval, kind of like that. Oval? Yes. I see. And could you see anything else on the face? No, I couldn't. All as I could see was his hair and when he turned around and then he... Were you afraid? Yes, I was. What did you think it was? Well, they, I did think they were UFOs. I did see them. You were, were you perhaps influenced by what the other children had said? Sort of, but I did definitely see what I saw, yes. Did you also see? Yes. What I did saw, you see? I saw something silver on the ground amongst the trees and the person in black. And that's all I saw. You saw a person alongside the silver thing? Yes. What did the silver thing look like? It looked like a saucer, but the shape wasn't really round. So both of them were running. One was running um, in the trees, and the other one was running, running across the ship. Because mm -hmm. there were also trees here. Mm -hmm. The eyes were, were like more pointed as they came in toward the center of the yeah. head, is that? Okay. No, more circular. And this was all black here. All black. Um, did you look at him? Yes. Did he look at you? Yes, and he gave me the creeps when I talked to him. He gave you the creeps. Actually, in your drawing, you showed him standing up, didn't you? Yes, I had to draw him standing up because I couldn't draw him sitting. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought was maybe the world's going to end. Maybe they're telling us the world's going to end. Um, well, why do you think they might want us to be scared? Because um, you, maybe because we never we don't look after the planet and um, the area properly. Mm -hmm. 
Did the man say those things to you? Uh, how did he get that across to you? Well, he never said anything. It's just that the face is the eyes. What, what was the sense you got from those eyes? He was interested. Some of the children said that at this moment, the creature communicated with them. In their minds, they saw visions of a dystopian future, and they somehow knew it had been caused by wide-scale deceptions. You can see the kids' drawings, photos of the school grounds, and the student interviews in the Dark Intel files on the Renegade Files Patreon page. Just tap that link in the show notes. You can help the show stay ad-free, and in return, you get access to the Dark Intel files for this and every episode, plus bonus episodes, videos, t-shirts, and other rewards, and the chance to post comments and suggest episode ideas and become an integrated part of the Renegade Files agency on Patreon. I'll see you in there. When discussing and researching the drawings the kids made, you can find many comments and opinions, particularly on skeptic websites and blogs, that say that the drawings are all different, and that's proof the kids are just doing them for some of the attention they see the other kids drawing aliens are getting. But I don't really see it that way. I've looked over the aerial school drawings, and I'd say the opposite. To me, they look very much alike, in a kid-drawn sort of way. And I'm talking about the aliens and the landed craft. If you ask 60 kids to draw two truckers and a semi-truck they saw at a truck stop, would you get variations among those drawings? Or if you took 60 kids to the marina and asked them to draw one of the boats and two fishermen working on the docks there, would you expect them to all draw precisely the same drawings? So to me, when I look at the drawings the kids made, I'd say that they are all of the same things. They each look a bit different, but not so different as to not look like the kids are all drawing the same thing. When you look at the drawings of the landed craft among the trees, each kid also draws the trees a bit differently. Does that mean that there are no trees in the wild African field outside of the schoolyard? And the kids are lying about trees being there just because one kid draws a tree differently than another kid does? Seriously, the drawings do show the same things, just my opinion. That being said, there is a video of one boy interviewing with Cynthia Hind, and he clearly says that he only got a glimpse of the alien and never saw his face. But two months later, when the same boy is talking to John Mack, he draws the alien and describes the eyes as being huge, black, and having white pupils. So the day after this happened, this boy said he had not been able to see the alien's face. But two months later, he says he saw it close enough to know that it had white pupils. This is a case of one kid adding to his story after hearing the other kids tell theirs as he watched and then everyone talking about it for two months. But that doesn't mean that I don't believe the original kids who did get close and who told remarkable descriptions and stories from the beginning. I personally think that a situation like the boy whose story grew more fantastic is not evidence of a totally fake story but rather clear evidence of the poor way the entire thing was handled by Hind, which was then exacerbated by Mac showing up two months later to ask them all again. In retrospect, separate all the kids, record them telling you where they were in relation to the object and the beings, and sort out the dozen or so who have valid and intimate accounts, rather than mixing them in with 50 other kids 
and letting everyone listen as all 50 of them tell the story of whatever they saw. I mean, that's a terrible way to do anything. Part 4. The Vanishing Documentary On May 19, 2020, the Martin Willis Live Show's YouTube channel streamed a live show where he interviewed filmmaker Randall Nickerson as well as Francis Chiramuta, who was a student at the 1984 Aerial School event. In the video show notes, Willis writes, quote, Guest Randall Nickerson discusses the future release of his long-awaited film, Aerial Phenomenon. In this interview, Nickerson states that the film is positively finished. That was in May of 2020. We're still waiting. Nickerson's website is sparse on content, but it looks like a very highly produced film teaser site. It has a Spielberg-esque logo for the title and all of the promises of a film that will amaze you when you see it. At the bottom of the main page, it lists everyone involved in making the film, which we already know because the bio section of these people with their headshots is really the only information on the entire site. At the bottom of that list, we see two famous words, coming soon. You can visit the Aerial Phenomenon documentary Facebook page, and at this point, all it really consists of are unrelated UFO videos, and each of those are populated with a few years' worth of comments asking about the documentary. I haven't seen or heard of Randall Nickerson replying to any of these inquiries about his movie, but he may have done so somewhere or at some point. The thing is that this movie has, according to the creator, been completed since at least May of 2020, but it hasn't been released in its full form anywhere that I can find. At one point, I read that Randall Nickerson had sold the rights of the documentary to James Fox, who produced the film The Phenomenon, and that might be common knowledge at this point, but in that movie there is about a 10 minute segment of the story with some footage of the aerial school kids, presumably from Nickerson's material. Since I saw that paragraph that mentioned the sale of the movie rights, and I'm pretty sure it was on the original Aerial Phenomenon documentary website, it has since vanished. Some people have speculated that the missing film is part of some government and media cover-up of the material, like it tells too much and they squashed it. I think the more likely scenario is that Randall Nickerson sold his documentary's reproduction rights to James Fox or to a production company related to Fox's movie, and now Nickerson has no further control over the material. At this point, people are giving Randall Nickerson a pretty hard time about not releasing this documentary, but he did work on it for a long time. By all accounts, he poured everything he had, financially and creatively, into making the film for quite a while. He has stayed in touch with some of the now-grown kids. He's obviously passionate about the Aerial School event and the movie he made about it. In my opinion, Randall Nickerson is credible, and if I had worked that hard and long on a project and someone offered me a large or even decent amount of money for it, I'd probably sell it too, at least at a certain point. And that brings up another observation. If this is the case, and Randall Nickerson sold the rights of his documentary to some other company, we don't know how the deal was presented to him or what the terms were. They could have told him that they were going to use his entire film as is within their larger project, like a series or something. 
And in the end, all they used was 10 minutes of it, but now they own it and he can't do anything about it. It's pure speculation, but maybe Randall Nickerson is remaining silent on this subject because of some contract obligation. Maybe there's a time limit to Fox's use of the material after which Nickerson can release his whole film, which is why he goes on promoting it. Or maybe Nickerson is working to recover all of the rights so that he can release it. I don't know. I've looked forward to the Randall Nickerson documentary about the aerial school encounter for as long as anyone, and I hope we'll eventually get to see it the way he intended. My summary. So, what seems more unlikely? That a UFO landed outside of a school and aliens communicated with kids to convey warnings for our planet? Or that 62 kids from age 6 to 13 colluded to make up the same story, draw the same UFO and aliens, and stick to their story for 27 years? That's a tough one. I'd say the likelihood of that many kids making up a detailed story such as this one in 15 or 20 minutes, then all of them holding to it for the rest of their lives up till now, is pretty remote. I don't think the kids, as a whole, just made the whole thing up. If you've ever been part of any plot when you were in school that involved other kids, there's one thing that I'm positive you learned very quickly. There is always a rat. When I was in junior high, we had a really cool bus driver. He would let us play whatever music we liked on his jam box, he told us jokes every day, and everyone was always really behaved for the guy because he was cool. One morning on the way to school, he took a turn out of the way, stopped in a neighborhood in front of a house, ran in and got his wallet that he had forgotten, then we were back on the road to school. As we were driving again, he said, hey, if you guys are late, just say the bus was late. Everyone agreed. We weren't even late when we got to the school, and in fact, we made it there ahead of a few other buses. Everyone went off to class, and none of us would have to say anything because we weren't even late in the first place. But there was this one kid, this weaselly little pain in the butt that no one liked because, for whatever reason, the kid was a jerk. As soon as that bus parked, that kid ran as fast as he could run to the office and told the principal what the cool bus driver had done and said. We never saw that bus driver again. The point is that there is no way that kids could make up some alien story across three or four grades of children, 62 of them in total, and there would be no rat in that group. In an environment where the approval of authority figures, the teachers and the headmaster, is more valuable than cash. I also don't think that these kids would mistake a tractor and some workmen for a flying craft they watched land from which three-foot-tall occupants emerged, dressed in shiny black suits with huge eyes that were able to float, vanish, and reappear, who delivered telepathic messages to them through their eyes before returning to their craft, which then lifted off the ground and vanished. Some people have asked why such aliens would land at a school to deliver such an important message about the environment to the kids, and why wouldn't they tell that message to a politician or a captain of industry? Really? Besides the obvious reasons, there is another more subtle aspect to the story as the kids who were closest tell it. The kids first saw the glowing orbs, watched them follow the power lines, and then at some point they saw a larger craft with the orbs flying around it, and it was this larger craft they saw land among the trees. 
When these kids first saw the beings outside of the craft, the beings seemed to be inspecting the terrain, the soil, and the trees in the area. It was at this point that some of the younger kids were so frightened by the way the beings looked that they ran off to tell the snack shop lady or to try to get inside the school. And that was after seeing these creatures from the edge of the playground from hundreds of feet away. If kids saw two construction workers from 100 yards away, they wouldn't run off crying to find a teacher. It was only when one of these beings noticed the kids that the other being approached the kids and delivered these messages. It seems that the aliens, if that's what they were, were there to do something else and that they only realized the kids after the fact. It is possible that if they were aliens, they did not go to the school on purpose, but were there conducting some kind of research or inspection of the area. It was remote. It's in the woods, essentially. And the kids saw them and were watching them, and these beings' interactions with the kids may have been totally improvised. As I watch the kids tell their stories to Hind and Mac, I feel some of the kids are truly genuine, honest, and believable. At the same time, it's too bad that Hin did the interviews in big groups with kids watching in turn, and it's too bad that Mac asked leading questions and seemed to be trying to salvage some proof to keep his sliding academic career from going fully underwater. And I think that the way these two conducted their research and interviews created fertile ground for kids to add to their stories and to incorporate things other kids had said in their versions of the events, and we know kids will do that. But that doesn't mean I don't believe some of the kids. I might even say that most of the kids are giving answers they hope will please these two adults, who are the only two adults who seem to believe them out of all the other parents, teachers, and school staff who either don't believe them at all or at least don't admit it. But there are a few kids that are too compelling, too genuine, and too descriptive to ignore. These are the few kids that braved the wild terrain, went beyond the boundaries of the yard, and got close enough to give us this amazing detail, and the stories that they have came from that interaction. And I think the rest of the kids who stayed back saw the lights at first, and the beings from a hundred yards away, they simply amended their stories to match the accounts of these few kids who did get close. They all heard these versions over and over again, and these kids saw how much attention the kids who got close to the beings were getting. In the end, the waters are muddied, but there is a component of a real event here. An object that was seen to fly, land, and then take off and vanish, and beings that defy the human form that we know of. They communicated by putting pictures into kids' heads, and who looked so different that their very appearance caused the younger kids to flee. As far as UFO and alien encounters go, this is one of the best. Thank you so much for coming with me to the Aerial School. If you listen to Renegade Files on Spotify, add your favorite Renegade Files episodes to your UFO, paranormal, or conspiracy playlist. If you'd like to share Renegade Files with your friends, just copy and paste our website link from the show notes and use that link in your social media post because the website is the one-stop shop where anyone can easily find the show on their favorite platform or even listen to the episodes right from the website's homepage, always free and always ad-free. 
It's a cool, clear night here at the Jungle Villa Outpost, so I'm going to sign off so I can take my night vision goggles onto the rooftop tower and look for UFOs. This is your host, Lex Gordon, saying thank you so much for being a part of the Renegade Files crew. Stay wild, ninja child. Ninja child.